0: Welcome to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Dr. Rutland is a world renowned leadership expert. He is a New York Times best selling author and he has served as the president of two universities. The Leader's Notebook is brought to you by Global Servants. For more information about Global Servants, please visit our website, globalservants.org. Here is your host, Dr. Mark Rutland. Welcome to The Leader's Notebook. Hello, I'm Mark Rutland. Happy New Year. You know, it's in January, this time of year, we're all thinking about all the traditional things like New Year's resolutions and Happy New Year, New Year's Eve, and all that kind of thing, New Year's Day. Now, I know that this is not New Year's Day. This week, we're a little further into January, but I wanted to do something a little bit different on the Leader's Notebook. Recently, at the Great Free Chapel Church in Gainesville, pastored by Jensen Franklin, On New Year's Day, I preached a message specifically about time and eternity. It was a New Year's Day theme, and I've felt moved to play that whole sermon this week on The Leader's Notebook. I pray that God will speak to you through it about time and eternity, and we must get a heart of wisdom and number our days. I believe that God has a word for you in this message, and I pray that it will reach you and move you and inspire you. Here's time and eternity. Happy New Year. Now, if you have your Bibles, if you'll take those and turn, if you will, please, to the book of Hebrews, the third chapter of the book of Hebrews, I'm going to read verses 12 through 14. At the end of the message, I'm going to also refer to a passage from the 12th chapter of Hebrews, but we'll not read that right now. I wanna sort of save that to the end, but Hebrews chapter three, beginning with verses 12 and 14. In just a moment, I'll read there. I uh, want to preach something unique for New Year's Day. Uh, I did not know this. Uh, Tracy was telling me that a lot of churches are not having church today, and it doesn't seem to make any sense to me. I'm not criticizing them to make their own decisions. But I, I, for one, I want to start this thing here. I, I, this, this has got to go better. Yeah. Hebrews chapter three, verses 12 through 14. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in you, any of you, an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily while it is called today. Now just notice that passage. While it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin, for we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. So let's think what it means. Today, this thing that we call today, while it is called today, because in just a few moments, This won't be called today anymore until the end. The end of what? The end of our lives or the end of time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in the next few moments, I pray that your spirit will bear witness with ours. Brush aside all our barriers to communication. Rush in over the threshold of our souls and speak to us by your might in the inner person of every listener. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. On New Year's Day, as perhaps on no other day of the year, we are sensitive to the issue of time, the calendar, the passage of life. As we humans reckon time, today is the beginning of a new year. What we long for is new hope, new beginnings, a fresh start that somehow turning the page, calling it by a different number will change everything for the good. We are eternally optimistic about what it means to have a new year. But it also means we're a year older. There is less left to us of what we call time. I want you to think of time of its significance in our lives. Think of the ways in which we we speak of time. It fills our language, our vocabulary. We say things like, time and again. Time to go. That's usually what you repeat frequently if you are a husband and have a wife and many children. Time to go. Time flies. In the nick of time. Time after time, spare time, make time, save time all the time, free time, time will tell, kill time, waste time every time, good time, bad time. Or for those of you with a misspent youth, you'll recognize due time, hard time, Or perhaps a more positive phrase, time off for good behavior. Or the most sober of all those phrases that include the word time, out of time. All that begs this question. What is time? What is time? What is this that we say can be saved or wasted or killed? Can it fly? Can we make it, preserve it, travel in it, stop it, slow it down, speed it up? There is a vast literature about what time is. But at the end of it, no one really knows. We are fascinated by it. We fantasize, and Hollywood helps us to do so, that we can travel in it, forward or back to the future, that we can be time travelers, but in fact, we cannot. We live in time and we use time to measure events and changes that happen relative to where we are. Without getting all bogged down in complex physics and obscure philosophy, let me just say this. From ancient Egypt and ancient Babylon Humanity wanted to find some mechanism to measure the changes in our environment, the phases of the moon that happened regularly, moon after moon after moon, from whence we get the word month, the immutable rising and setting of the sun. How do we talk to each other about the segments inside such a day? Between the rising, I'll meet you at the marketplace when? Sometime when the sun is over yonder. So we longed for some way to communicate and to measure those changes in our environment. We started using sundials. Then someone invented clocks. Right up to the invention of time zones. Time zones actually, are a very modern invention. It happened in the 19th century because of two other inventions, the telegraph and the railroad. If you're traveling in a covered wagon from St. Louis, Missouri to California, then the time zones, doesn't matter how slowly you move. The time is whatever the time is where you are. But if you can now pass thousands of miles in a single day, time is it where you are? If you can send a telegram from St. Louis to California, and you say this will happen at one o'clock, what time is it where they read the telegram? Hence, time zones were invented. All the way up to now modern, the modern world, where we have the vastly irritating modern manipulation called daylight savings time. I, for one, have had it with Daylight Savings Time. I just want to say to the United States Congress, if you are listening, you do not seem to be able to accomplish anything else. Surely you can do away with Daylight Savings Time. And I don't care which way. Go forward or backward, I don't care. Just get it there and leave it there. (laughs) Now think of where we are right here, right now. This is now, right now. Now it isn't. That now is then. I want everybody in the room that has a watch on. Will you humble yourself and do this? Look at your watch. Look at your watch. See what time it is. Okay, now it's not. (laughs) This is where we are, and we call it now. It is the confluence of space and time into a place where we find ourselves relative to our environment, and we call it now. Tomorrow. That which we call tomorrow in the future, we cannot see, we cannot reach, but in the passage of time, we think we will be there. What is not yet will at one point become now, and this will become the past. Then now is the time we are in, but time, whatever it is, the mystery of time is flowing past us. As a river and the environment around us is changing. Every breath you breathe, every second as we count seconds, this thing called time is moving. It's fascinating that when the Bible speaks of the coming of Messiah, in Galatians 4.4, it uses the idea of time. It says, when in the fullness of time, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son. When the fullness of time was come, God sent his son. What, what a fascinating turn of phrase, the fullness of time. But what can it mean? The exactly propitious moment in the flow of human history when it was right for Messiah to come, the fullness of time, the thousands and thousands of years that we waited, that the world waited for the coming of Messiah. Was God also waiting? Was he waiting for some historical thing to happen? Was he waiting for Caesar Augustus to call for the taxation to be made? Was he waiting for the Romans to invent the horrible execution process of crucifixion? Was, he, was God waiting? Was he sitting in heaven saying, oh, will the Romans never come? Certainly not, because God lives In his own eternal timelessness, God is not subject to time. We live in time. We are absorbed by it. We think about it. It it rules our lives. It is very difficult for us to dilate our faith to be able to comprehend a God who lives in another dimension called timeless eternity. God is not subject to time in any way. He where he is, he is, I am. That's what Jesus said to the Pharisees and they had no concept of what he was saying. He was talking to them about the fact that he transcends time. He said before there was an Abraham, I am. He is the eternal present tense. Abraham is in the past. But Jesus in the past is I am. In the present, what we call now, he is I am. If we receive tomorrow and walk in tomorrow, he will be I am. He is never partial. He's never a memory. He's never in the future. He is always the ultimate present tense reality, not in any way subject to time. God is not relative to time and time is not relative to God. God is in another dimension called eternity. That's one of the reasons that people misunderstand what heaven will be like. You ever hear people say, I'm afraid I'll get bored in heaven, float around on a cloud playing the fiddle. Okay, I can do that for a thousand years. Then I'll get bored. The problem is we project time and the ravages of time onto heaven. Heaven has nothing to do with time. It's eternal. Time doesn't move. Time doesn't change. There's one question that nobody will ever ask. Well, there are many questions, but one of the questions that no one will ever ask each other in heaven is, what time is it? (laughs) One thing no one will ever say to each other in heaven is, Happy New Year, because time has nothing to do with heaven, so you'll never get bored in heaven because of the splendor of eternity. Now, I'm going to get you to stretch your mind a little bit. Think of the most wonderful, ecstatic joy, the splendid moment of stepping out of time and into the eternal timelessness of heaven. Imagine the, the ecstasy that will fill your mind in that moment when you see and experience heaven in that moment. That will never be diminished because time cannot touch it. That will be heaven all the time. <laughs> because time has nothing to do with it. Now, there is a sobering thought, and that is this. From time, we step into timelessness one way or the other. If we step into eternal life outside of time without Christ, we also step into eternal death. There is also a question no one will ever ask in hell. What time is it? And trust me on this. No one will ever say in hell, Happy New Year. It is interesting in life that the longer we live, time, live in time, we realize our utter lack of control over it and its awesome power over us. As children, we long for things in time to speed up. If I can only get to Christmas, if I can only be 16, if I can only get my driver's license, if I can start work, if I can get home, if I can get married, if I can have children, if I can just get the last one out of my house. (laughs) When we're young, we're always thinking of some milestone of time out in the future. It's one of the great and liberating realities of getting old is to realize you can't speed it up, you can't slow it down, and there's nothing out in the future short of heaven that I'm trying to get to. It gives us an advantage over young people. Young people cannot project themselves into the future. It never dawns on them that they will look like us. We are advantaged because we remember when we looked like them. It makes us smug. I need a young couple here under the age of 30. Boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, it doesn't matter. I just need a young couple seated together right on the front row. This will teach you to sit further back. How old are you, son? 24. Perfect. Look right up here. Preachers all over America today preaching good news, good news. I'm sick of it. I've come to you with really bad news. I am your future. As you are, so once was I. As I am, you soon will be. If you live long enough, son you're going to look like this. See, as young people look at this old dudes like me and they say, OMG, what happened to him? They cannot, they cannot imagine that they will ever look like this because they don't understand what time will do to them. I was the president of two different universities over a period of 16 years. I was surrounded by single young adults and I, I love the little brats. I, I, no, I'm, I mean, our beloved students. I, but their, their understanding of time and space was so limited. And I can remember that some co-ed would always rush up to me and say, oh, President Rutland, I'm getting married this summer. I'd say, wonderful. Tell me about him. Oh, he's got this beautiful hair. I always wanted to say, visualize him bald. Now, miss, he's 24. How old are you? 26. Look right up here. Don't, I want you to do something for me. Just take your finger and run it over your upper lip. Just do that for me. Isn't that soft and sweet? Any man in his right mind would want to kiss that. Do you understand? The hair that falls out of his head is going to grow in your lip. (laughs) We live in time. (laughs) The reality is the the only part of time over which we have any personal authority at all is this that we call now. And it's only now, now. Now it isn't. Now this now, just as I'm saying this, now is now then. This present, now, now it's past. We have stewardship over this. It reminds me of May's poem. I have only just a minute, only 60 seconds in it. Forced upon me, cannot refuse it, but it's up to me to use it. I must suffer if I lose it. Just a tiny minute, but eternity is in it. The greatest mistake about time is the assumption that we shall have more of it. The book of Proverbs says, boast not yourself in tomorrow. It is repeated again in James chapter four. Don't say to yourself, tomorrow I'll do this or tomorrow I'll do that. You, You don't know. I'm not trying to frighten anybody. I hope you won't hear it this way. But the fact of the matter is, you don't know that you will ever live to see tomorrow. Or that you'll ever even get to see Georgia win another championship. You don't know that. You think you will, but you don't know that. You don't know that you will see the parking lot after church. You don't know that your next breath will not be your last. In the book of Luke, the 12th chapter, Jesus tells a very sobering parable about a man. He happens to be rich. His riches are not the point of the story. The point of the story is about time and his misunderstanding of it. He's wealthy. He says to himself, I'll deal with God later. I've got all this great farm, full silos full of grain, barns, bank accounts, everything else. And I'll deal with time later on. And God says, thou fool, this night, thy soul shall be required of thee. That's the, that's the sobering reality about time is that it can come to a screeching halt relative to us. Which brings us to Esau. I told you that at the end of the book of Hebrews, I wanted to reference another passage. Hebrews chapter 12 talks to us about Esau. It's a fascinating passage. You know the story, I think. And that is that Esau, the brother of Jacob, Yaakov, that he sold his birthright as the firstborn to his younger brother, Jacob in order to get some bean soup. He was hungry, he was starving. His flesh appetite overrode his sense of values and he sold his birthright in a moment of yieldedness to his flesh appetite. He sold his birthright to his younger brother. And then the Bible says, and afterward, after what? After having yielded, afterward, he sought A place of repentance, even with tears, but he was unable to find it. Esau went through the rest of his life trying to get back from that one disastrous decision. Because it says he sought a place of repentance. Now let's look at the word place. Because it doesn't quite make sense, does it? Where is the place of repentance? Is there one place, one physical, geographical reality that, where one is more likely to repent or where one can find repentance? Repentance simply means to turn in a different direction. That's all it means, to change, to repent. This is where I'm headed. This is what 2022 did to me, what I did to it, how I ruined it, how I soiled it, how I spoiled it. But in 23, I want to go this way. I want to change. But where is the place where I do that? Is it church? Is it a free chapel? No, the fact of the matter is, there is no place that is the place of repentance. Your car, your house, your prayer closet, church, there is no sacred place of repentance. And if you seek it, you will never find it. By place, Remember, place relative to where we are becomes time. So therefore, the place of repentance is always now. In other words, one cannot repent tomorrow. You will never change tomorrow. You will never have a new year tomorrow. You will never experience God in a new way tomorrow. Your past is gone you can't change that. You can't alter that. There's nothing you can do. You cannot travel back to the future. And if you could, if you could travel back to the future, what, what a mess you might make of that. What if you got involved in some kind of terrible thing and murdered your grandfather? Okay, now your birth is out. Do you understand? You can't, you can't change your past. <laughs> and you cannot repent in the future. Only in the now, this moment, this second, this is the place of repentance. Now, here, this morning, in this room, this is called now. This split second in time is the place where you can say, God, I want your timelessness, your eternity to invade my life. When Jesus came, the incarnate word of God, he not only left the spiritual reality of heaven and entered physical flesh form. Think of the sacrifice he made. He left timeless eternity and entered time. Jesus became subject to time. He got older, he had birthdays, his body changed, his mind changed. Jesus experienced time who had never known time. So we say to one another, and it is true, it's a great pa- passage of scripture. It's wonderful that he who, be- he who knew no sin became sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. Let me give you a different way to say it. He who knew nothing about time entered time that we might enter eternity. He, he became subject to time that we might escape time. But the only time and place we can escape time is now. The nowness of repentance is what makes this right now, as I speak to you, the place of repentance. We know it intuitively because we call it New Year's resolutions. This year, I'm going to change something. This year, I'm going to finally lose weight. This year, I'm going to finally go to the gym. This year, I'm going to do better, think better, live better, read more, something. So we think I can change something about myself in the future, and this is a good moment to do it. But... How many gym memberships lie on the floor of people's lives? How many New Year's resolutions came to naught? None of those things of self-effort will really be the place of repentance, the change. The only thing that can really change us is the unchangeable Christ. The only thing that can enter the time in which I live And change who I am in time and then assure me that when my time is finished, I will step over into timeless eternity. There's only one thing. We already sang about it. There is only one name, even this same Jesus. So we talk about accepting Christ as our savior. It's a good phrase. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not dissing the phrase, but what it means is, I invite the timeless Christ, the I am, into the time that I live. Now, in this moment, I am come and dwell in me so that as the hammer blows of life begin to knock off the parts of this body and finally I escape this body, what I actually escape is time. Because when I step over into heaven, time has no more claim on me. I enter into the same timeless reality, the realm of God's existence. I now move into timeless eternity if I have found the place of repentance. And the place of repentance is not a room at all. It's in time. I invite his timeless eternity into what I call now. And he invites me into the eternal presence of his timeless glory. And that's a better than even swap. You've been listening to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review today's podcast. You can follow Dr. Rutland on Twitter at Dr. Mark Rutland or visit his website, drmarkrutland.com. Join us next week for another episode of The Leader's Notebook.